Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Black woman. Beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How has your week been? It's been good. You know, it's funny because now that like my best friend is here, her family is here from the storm, it's actually been pretty cool. Like everyone is so helpful. Everyone like pitches in. It's like the Brady Bunch. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. (laughs) It has been. It has been better than I thought it was going to be. And my grandmother went back home yesterday. She did not have a new hole in a wall or another car driven through uh, the garage. You know, hey, listen, it's the little things that count. Amen. It's been better than I thought it was going to be. And we've been, me and my um, line sister have been doing a lot of like, COVID care package deliveries because there's been like sores that have been displaced. So I've ran a target more than a little bit this week, (laughs) this week getting like all kinds of baby stuff. Um, So I've gotten a lot of baby stuff, car seats, diapers and wipes. Yeah. It's been um, to the store almost every day. Like, oh, there's somebody else affected. Oh, let me go buy some more stuff. You're doing the Lord's work, Nicole. You're doing Listen, the Lord's work. It is a it's a blessing in disguise. It's a blessing in disguise. And um, my line sister, who's my bestie, said, um, I was like, you don't have to pay half of this. Like, we went and dropped off some stuff yesterday. And she was like, Don't block my blessing. And I was like, Touche. Oh. Touche. That's so sweet. Yes, it is a blessing to give. It's a blessing to give. Girl. I'm glad that you're having fun over there. And I'm glad that the weather didn't hit you all too, too hard. Everyone's place is okay. Everybody's place is decent. Yeah, and even their place is decent. They just don't have power. It's the power that's causing the issues um, in New Orleans. So, yeah, girl. That and the fact that um, store owners are carrying like... What are they, AK-47s? I don't really know gun terminology, but they're carrying big guns, okay, outside of their mm-hmm. stores. And people are shooting people over gas and stuff down there. So they're not going back until they get some stores up and running. Yeah, they don't have to, like, drive across the city to get gas. And they can get groceries in the state instead of crossing over to Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably helpful, you know, to have open establishments that are 
yeah. servicing the community before you return. I agree. Right. And those are the kinds of things you don't think about when you are displaced, right? Like, right. Because oh, I, I mean, you go home. back. Yeah, you go back and you have a generator or you're the only person on the block that has power, but you can't get any gas or you can't go to the grocery store and buy food to cook in your own house, let alone, you know, trying to go to a restaurant and get something like you just can't get access to resources. So, yeah, you can't go back until everything's up and running. Girl, listen. So, you know, my best friend, she drives trains for a living. She's an engineer. And she called me and my best friend has a very odd tone to her voice. Right. So when things should sound emergent, they sound just very. She's super calm. Yeah. She's like. Hi, Janine. Um, so yeah, I'm stuck. I was like, stuck? Like, what do you mean you're stuck? So she starts sending me pictures that she's in Harrisburg and she cannot return to Philadelphia because the actual station is submerged in water. She was sending videos and we were trying to figure out how to reroute her. You know, New York, they had videos of rats floating and swimming around in their water. I mean, it wait, was wait, just- wait, 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 wait. Wait, yeah, you heard what I said. Rats. Yeah. Oh, okay. Of the rats okay. floating and swimming like it was hey. a pool party. Okay. Um, that was in New York. So the weather in the Northeast was awful. And I mean, it came out of nowhere. Like, yeah, they told us like, oh yeah, it's, you know, they're going to be tornado warnings. But again, we've had that before. It's no big deal. And we haven't had any real severe devastation that I can recall since Sandy. Let me tell you something. They were, people were flipping off the street signs into the streets of Philadelphia as if it were a pool. I mean, the hurricane was just devastation everywhere. And no one really expected it up here. Girl, it was hours. She was stuck in Harrisburg overnight, finally got diverted to Wilmington, which is south of Philadelphia, and had to drive, drive back home in a rental car after going to several rental car companies. I mean, it was crazy. And then, of course, you know, they have to get the equipment all back up and running. I mean, it was super intense. I was like, God, you said that you wouldn't destroy the earth with water again. Like, what is going on? It was just everywhere. Yeah, I I was watching at two in the morning on CNN and I was like, oh, snap, <laughs> New York and Philly and Jersey are like flooded. Poor things. I mean, it is. I, I don't think people were expecting that kind of rain because so I don't think that people could have even been prepared because you're not used to it. Right. There's never yeah. been like a hurricane that went through and tore up Louisiana and then just kept on going and shot off tornadoes way up in New York. I mean, that's just, yeah. I mean, I I can't even blame the States or the cities because I'm like, no one predicted this, but I was, I was definitely surprised. I was definitely surprised. Um, And the bad thing is it's still early in hurricane season. Like I know hurricane season started at the end of June, but like, this is like prime time. Like August is like when things always start to brew, right? Mm -hmm. This, it hit Louisiana on the anniversary of hurricane Katrina. So this one, it starts to brew, but you have until November for the hurricane season to be over. Lord, let Christmas come. It's getting stressful. That, that part. This is giving apocalyptic real fast for us. It really is. Yeah, it is. It's really scary. And then what day did they announce that there's a new variant of COVID? What is it? I feel like there's a new variant. Oh, Mew's been out. Yeah. I feel like there's a new variant they announce like every week. Everybody's worried about Delta and now they're talking about Mew. There were variants between Delta and Mew, right? So, um... There were. They just weren't. Yeah, just weren't as virulent. And, you know, if they're virulent and we're like, OK, this is the primary variant that's on on the merge, then we like, OK, well, 
we got to watch out for this one. And we should check to see if the vaccines are compatible with this one. So far, the vaccines have been effective, but they're definitely not as effective against newer variants, right? So the virus is replicating as a survival mechanism, right? Viruses, that's what they do. They replicate. This is bad. And people don't even realize it's bad. People walk around here with no mask. And I'm like, y'all, there are like young people on the vent right now. Oh, yeah. And y'all are out and about. What is going on? But I, I will get off of that soapbox. I will get off of it because we can go on forever. Yeah. So, Janine, I don't really want to ask you what's on your timeline today, but I'm going to ask you because I'm supposed to. What's on your timeline this week, Janine? Okay, so I feel like we need to do a lot of disclaimers about this before we even start having this conversation. Please. First disclaimer is Nicole and I made some rules when we first started this podcast. And when we made those rules, we were very specific about the things that we were comfortable talking about. And this topic was one of the topics that we said that we were not comfortable talking about. However, this particular topic is something that will undoubtedly affect black women. We are not here to give advice. We are not here to encourage a stance one way or the other. We are just doing our podcast and discussing a topic that affects Black women. Nicole, is there anything else that you would like to add? As a, as a yes, I would like to also add that we have changed some of the details of the emails you have sent us. So not to give direct advice about certain situations. That is correct. So... If Texas wasn't already bad enough, you know, between the lack of mask mandates and the high COVID numbers, this past week, a bill that Governor Abbott actually signed back in May went into effect. So as of September 1st, it officially became law when the Supreme Court declined an emergency request to block it. What is this that we're talking about? We are talking about the new abortion law in Texas. Okay, so before I go into what this means for Texas, let me point out Roe versus Wade was a landmark case that gave women the constitutional right to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. So in the first trimester, which is up to 12 weeks, the decision to have an abortion is solely up to the person who is carrying the baby. In the second trimester, the government has a little bit of say. So according to Roe v. Wade, in the second trimester, the government can set, quote unquote, reasonable health requirements. This is really where it really makes a difference as to where you live, what state you live in. In the third trimester, abortions can be banned entirely except in cases where there's a risk to the person that is carrying. Technically, women have the constitutional right to have an abortion up until the day that they give birth. However, some states have created restrictions based on the powers that Roe v. Wade has given them, right? Okay, so now to SB 8. And SB 8 is the law that just went into effect in Texas. The law bans abortions at the point of where an ultrasound can detect a fetal heartbeat. So six weeks is the marker. So in Texas, you are not permitted to have an abortion after six weeks once this law went into effect. Now, this becomes especially problematic because most women don't really know or verify that they're pregnant at the six week mark. So by the time that you find out that you're pregnant, it's too late for you to have an abortion. So knowing what I just said about Roe v. Wade And knowing about this law, the question is, well, how is it that this law can be passed when Roe v. Wade is still 
being upheld by the Constitution. Here's how these lawmakers managed to finagle this. This restriction puts the onus of enforcement on the citizens rather than the onus of enforcement on the government. So essentially, the law gives citizens the right to sue doctors, clinics, and any individual who is aiding and abetting an abortion, which this means friends, family members, partners, drivers, clinic workers, anyone who has knowledge that abortions are taking place after the six-week mark can technically sue anyone who has any involvement of any kind in an abortion, which means that everyone is at risk. People who are knowingly participating or aiding and abetting, as they put it, or people who don't know that they're aiding and abetting. And in order to sue, you don't have to live in the state of Texas and the abortion does not even have to affect you. But you have the right to sue because that's how they've written this law. Why would people be interested in suing, you wonder? Well, here's the thing. They've made this incentive pretty hefty. So not only if you sue and win, do you get your legal fees covered, but you also get a $10,000 reward for, for finding people who are giving or participating in illegal abortions. So this law just makes things a little bit more inconvenient for those who um, are seeking abortions in Texas. So there is a, a little of a silver lining here, right? So since the law went into effect, President Biden has vowed to use the whole of the government to fight what's going on in Texas, right? Also, in wake of the law, some companies have already jumped into action. Planned Parenthood has filed a restraining order against the Texas right to life. The restraining order will ensure that people cannot sue Planned Parenthood under this new law. Outside of Planned Parenthood, both Uber and Lyft have created a driver legal defense fund to cover 100% of the legal fees for drivers that may be sued under this law. And Lyft also has donated a million dollars to Planned Parenthood in an effort to ensure that transportation is not a barrier for people's health care that are seeking abortions. And then finally, Bumble and Match have created a fund to help Texans who need access to abortion services. So I don't think that it'll be long before either this law is overturned or there's a legal loophole that is found. But in the meantime, there are resources that companies have created and made available to those who are still seeking abortions after the six-week mark in, in Texas. Well, the issue, Janine, is who's going to be doing them in Texas? Because... Even I don't do abortions, but I counsel a lot of women every day uh, because I diagnose lethal fetal anomalies. And even if they're not lethal, they can be life altering fetal anomalies, major heart defects that require surgery, major brain defects, kids that I know that will be paraplegic, major skeletal malformations, babies that will need to be taken care of forever. And parents have to make the decision to see, do I have the resources to take care of this child? Do I have the mental capacity and the support to take care of this child? Do I want to care this child to term and the child die and go through that mental strain of a live born baby and a funeral because they don't cover costs when these babies are lethal. You still have to come up with a little tiny 
coffin and a burial plot and it's expensive and you know the baby's going to die. And if you have health problems, even if you're not going to die, do you risk your own health to carry the baby that will not survive? And so I counsel a lot of women about their options. Okay. It's my job to talk about people's options and medical legally. If the American college of OBGYNs says, Hey, you legally have to counsel people about all their options. But if you don't mention termination and they have a child that has issues, then you can get sued for wrongful birth. But now in Texas, if we do counsel them about all their options, we can be sued because they have an abortion or we can be sued just for talking to them about having an abortion. So it's it, it puts uh, me in my field, particularly and, and OBGYNs in general, honestly, at a, at, a, at a very interesting and vulnerable situation where do you do your job because you have a medical legal obligation to discuss all the options or do you not do your job and not counsel people about things because you are afraid to get sued, you know, and lose your license? And even if you win your case, right, you still have to report the fact that you got sued to all the hospitals for privileging and for the medical to the medical board, to the National pra- uh, Practicing uh, Administration. You got to report all of this, even if you win, the case. Even if there were some exceptions down the line, if that law stays in place, no one's going to be doing the procedures. So people are going to have to go out of state. Um, I'm hoping that at least this whole like aiding and abetting part, which is like super funny, right? Like, is your Uber driver going to ask you like, where are you going and why are you going there? Right. Like, I don't even think they're even thinking when they put this stuff in the law. It's just trying to scare people to an extreme so that they won't help women to get an abortion because everybody thinks that everybody's getting an abortion is like a 15 year old that had unprotected sex and they don't want to have a baby. When realistically, the majority of people that have abortions have abortions for either medical reasons or because there's something actually wrong with the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. People are not thinking anymore. People are not thinking like that. Um, it's, it's a very insensitive patriarch way of thinking about abortion. It's like you, you're a woman, you need to bear child. What? Like there are exceptions to this rule. It really, it it is what it sounds like. It's like, you have no control. You have no choice. You have to bear. And and to say that, Hey, you still have a choice. You just have to get it done by six weeks. I'm like six weeks. Most people don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. Most people can't get an appointment with their OB until after the eighth week. And it's funny because an OB, if you if you call and you miss your cycle, an OB will tell you, wait two more weeks and take another pregnancy test. Absolutely. We'll get you in at the earliest at eight weeks. So if you can't get into your OB's office by six weeks to confirm the pregnancy, then how in the world would you be having a termination before that? And most people don't wake up thinking, I want to have a termination today. They wake up happy, they're pregnant, and they don't realize they need to have a termination until they find out super duper bad news during the pregnancy. By that time, it's way, it's out of the first trimester almost. So yeah, the, the law is very, is very uh, disheartening. Um, it's scary. It's probably going to close a lot of clinics down that would have offered those services because they don't want to be sued. They don't want to be targeted. Um, Texas was already uh, one that if you had a termination after the 13th week, it had to be for a medical reason or for a a severe fetal anomaly. 
And now it's like, what if that wasn't restrictive enough? It was already restrictive. So now they're like, oh, we still allow some exceptions, but it has to be, you know, uh, for uh, extreme medical cases. Well, who's interpreting that? Exactly. Who's interpreting that? And it's not fetal medical cases. It's maternal. Like if the mom's life is in danger, that's the exception to the rule. But my thing is you run away everybody that does the procedures. Who's doing it? I agree. Even for medical cases, who's doing it? You're not going to have anybody around. You know, no one's going to be left to actually do procedures when they are indicated for maternal conditions that are accepted exceptions to the rule. Yeah. So my question was just that, like who with this rule in place, who is actually going to put themselves in the line, line of fire? Nobody. Nobody's right. going to risk their life because it's not even just the doctors getting sued. And, you know, a lot of doctors will be like, OK, well, I'll just lawyer up and we'll fight this thing because we have exceptions. We can document this. But if you say everybody that's aiding and abetting, that's me. That means your front office person. That means your medical assistant. Yep. That means everybody in your clinic um, can can potentially be sued. They can't afford to be sued. And then the the people driving the person. To, I mean, it's just too many people involved. It's too risky. Or You're someone putting that too even many- has knowledge of it. Like, if yeah. It, so if I tell you that, that, hey, girl, one of my friends, blah, 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 blah. And you're a whistleblower and you I can sue you, research, Jenny. You can sue me because you know that yeah. I have knowledge of it. Like, this yeah. is the most ridiculous thing ever. Yeah. And, and so it puts too many people at risk. So no doctor absolutely. is going to risk putting not only themselves, but like all of their staff that works with them at risk. They're not going to risk. It. So you're really not going to have people that are going to be be doing those services. And the bad thing is you're going to have doctors that are not even counseling people about those services because they don't want to get sued and they don't want their staff to get sued. And in Texas, you can legally record without consent in the offices. Yikes. It, this just gets yeah. worse. It gets worse and worse, doesn't it? Oh, the lawyer is about to come out. You think they're bad about like random stuff like, did you take Johnson & Johnson when you were pregnant? I mean, you think they're bad about that kind of stuff? Oh, you just wait. Like, there's going to be a whole bunch of people just randomly suing random people, and they're going to list all these people as uh, defendants. Because one case will stick. Yeah, something will stick. And, and then this creates the, this sets the standard for all the other states. So you got all these other states that have heartbeat laws, because, you know, six weeks heartbeat heartbeat laws in place, but they just haven't been, they're just not active yet. They're caught up in these legal uh, situations where people are protesting or um, they're going back and back, back and forth to the Supreme Court. So they haven't been able to enforce the laws yet. Per se, in Mississippi was a big one when I was there. There was, I mean, the Prop 26 came and then they, next year it was called something else and they try to get it back in. So it all, they always try to get it into some of these Southern states and it just haven't, and not all, not all Southern Ohio to Ohio, Kentucky too, but they just haven't stuck. But now the Supreme court said, they do it. We just, we just go, go ahead and say it. It's not, (laughs) it's not all, it's not all the red states. It's not all the red states. I can't say all the red states, but most of the states that have heartbeat law. Oh, they are red. states. Yeah, they are red, but it's just not all the red states. But, uh, you know, Supreme Court just decided we just going to not say anything about this one. You know, I mean, we're just going to like though. just let the law. We're going to let midnight happen. Just not say anything. We've been talking about this for a while. Right. In Texas. And we all said, oh, you know, it, it'll be overturned. It'll be overturned. Like 
we sat here and we thought we were here three years ago. This will be overturned because this happens all the time. This is not the first time this kind of stuff has been introduced. This stuff is introduced all the time, all the time. So we all thought surely it'll be overturned. But when midnight happened, we were like, oh, this is we going to do this. Oh, okay. Let's let's go. We we really about to do this. All right. We about to lose a whole bunch of doctors. Well, Nicole, I feel like also we're going to lose a lot of lives, unfortunately, because history has told us that when abortions are banned, it does not eliminate abortions. Does not mean that the abortions don't take place. It just means that they take place in in these very sketchy settings. We've seen this happen in the past. We lose people. People don't stop having abortions. That's not what happens. It just means that people find other ways to terminate their pregnancies when they feel like it's necessary. It really puts our community in a in a lot of danger. It really does. And honestly, there's well, something that I read that said, you know, the the lawmakers, right? That they don't see anything wrong with this because their wives, daughters, and mistresses will still have access to abortions. Oh, they will. They'll just go to New Mexico, you know, where there's unlimited abortion access. So, I mean, and that's the thing. Rich people have never had issues with this law. You can go across state lines and get an abortion. Now, the issue is when other states get hold to this, will Roe v. Wade be overturned in general? Like, you know, will eventually that happen? And, and if that does, that's going to be a sad, a, a super sad place in history. But um it's already hard enough to gain access when you really, really need a termination. And I don't want people to sit here and think, oh, you know, Janine and I, you know, are just willing to kill any baby because that's not what we are. Like I was raised strict Catholic. And I was raised strict Pentecostal, right? (laughs) And she's Kojic. You know, personally, I would never have an elective abortion, but, but y'all, you don't understand that most of these abortions aren't elective. These babies, some babies have multiple anomalies and, you know, people don't want people to have abortions, but they don't want to have a patient on the ventilator forever because that's futile use of resources. And nobody's giving these, these mothers and families checks to support these babies that need round the clock care. Like, Who's supporting them? And then we don't even have access to mental health services. Like, let's let's talk through why we don't have access to mental health services. But you want us to bear children when we have health problems and children that will have debilitating lifelong health journeys. Why are we not funding those things? So it seems like, oh, well, you have got to have this child, but we are not going to uh, provide any support for you or your family. And if the mom dies and we really don't care, we're not going to support provide any support for the people that survive after the mom passes away. And yeah, uh, we understand that uh, this baby's not going to survive and need care around the clock. But after the mom passes away, we're just going to put this kid in a home. I mean, People are not thinking like, where are the resources to help people take care of children that will have debilitating health conditions? Where are the resources to bury these children when they pass away right after birth? There are none. It's also a way to keep generationally the poor, poor and the rich, rich. Because if you have more children that you can't take care of and you have health problems and you have more children with health problems, then that's going to tap into all your resources. You're going to be living in a generational curse, generation after generation. 
and that keeps the minority people down here and the majority people who can selectively choose what babies they're going to have and can go across state lines up here. Like this is definitely a curse against black and brown people and poor people. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. Because I, I, when I was practicing in Indianapolis, I had a, a mom that had a baby with a major heart defect. And we told her, hey, this is likely going to be a lethal anomaly and probably caused by genetic syndrome. And they said, OK, well, we, we want to terminate. You know, we want to terminate. Their parents were ministers. Mm-hmm. Both of their parents were ministers. Wow. And I said, well, in the state of Indiana, you can't terminate this baby because you already 21 weeks and six days. And they said, well, I thought that the lethal anomaly would be the exception to the law. No, it's not. And they said all this time we've been protesting and now we're in the situation. And they said, they said, you know, we are going to have a real talk with our family because our parents support us getting this termination. They're ministers and they understand the baby won't survive and they support us getting a termination. Girl, they had to go across state lines. They went to Chicago, which allowed them to terminate up to 23 weeks and uh, had the termination there. But they said a lot of their congregations, their family did not understand that abortion laws affect fetal anomalies that are lethal. They thought that was the exception. People can think what they want to think, but the law, the law is the law. law. Mm-hmm. And you know, doctors don't work by, Oh, this must be the exception. Unless it states this is, this is the exception. It's, there's no exception. It doesn't allow for exception. So you cannot get terminations for lethal anomalies. It doesn't allow for that. So people think that that are pro-life until They have a baby and they have to make some difficult decisions about their pregnancies. Well, it's not have a baby. They have a pregnancy and then they have to make some difficult decisions. It's very sad that people so vigorously support a law that they really don't know much about. They don't know nothing about. Nope. They know nothing about it. All right, Janine, are you ready to talk through some of our letters? But let's remind everyone that we are not giving advice. This is just us doing our show. And we are going to give our opinions. We do not want anyone to take this as advice. My letter says, Nicole and Janine, I won't say my name because I'm afraid the protesters will come after me. But my wife and I don't want to continue our pregnancy. And I don't know what to do with the new Texas laws since we live in Dallas. Let me explain. We're not just not wanting the pregnancy. My wife and I have tried for a long time, four years to be exact, with the second pregnancy. Then we got pregnant through IVF and we were so happy. We had a gender reveal party at 12 weeks and found out we were having a boy. However, at our anatomy scan at 18 weeks, certain areas of the brain couldn't be seen. We were referred for further evaluation to a high-risk specialist. The specialist said our baby was missing half of the brain and the skull bone over the brain. On 3D ultrasound, everything above the eyes was missing. We were told that our baby won't survive very long after birth. We were scheduling a termination, but at first we were a little hesitant because of our Baptist beliefs and because we didn't know how to tell our family. Now we're being told we can't schedule it at all due to the new law. My wife has hypertension, and although she says she's willing to carry the baby now if she has to, I don't want her to have to. She had help syndrome with our last child and had to deliver at 28 weeks. My wife spent two weeks in the ICU, and our baby was in the NICU for three months. I don't want to risk my wife's health since our baby won't survive anyway. 
Ladies, what would you do and how would you explain the situation to your families? Okay, again, this is what I, Janine, personally would do. I don't live in Texas, so let me preface it with that. I understand your concern. The first priority would not be for me to explain it to my family, right? My first priority would be the health of my wife and my unborn child. And basically they're saying, if if I'm understanding this correctly, Nicole, correct me if I'm wrong, is that this pregnancy really isn't viable. Is that correct? Correct. Because if the baby's missing half the brain and the skull over the brain, yes. Um, it, it, what, what it sounds like is that the baby has what's called anencephaly, which is where the majority of the brain is missing and the skull over the brain. Eventually, the amniotic fluid basically erodes the brain tissue and you can't see anything above the eyes. So when we look on ultrasound, it looks like there's frog eyes and, and that's it. Like you just have the skull, like your would stop at your brow and everything above that is gone. And so that is considered lethal. Those babies do not survive. Occasionally, the brain stem might be intact and the babies may survive a little while because the respiratory center is in, intact, but they're not going to be able to function normally and they usually get infection. So rarely there are some anencephalics that live a couple of weeks, maybe even a month, but they're in the ICU on a ventilator and usually they eventually die from infection or they just stop breathing. If it were me, I would make sure that my wife was safe. Let's identify some states that will allow your wife to exercise her right to have an abortion and try to make the process as easy as possible for your wife because it's already going to be an emotional struggle and it's added or compounded by the fact that that your governor has signed this law and that it has now gone into effect. So let's try to, you know, make it as easy as possible for your wife to exercise her option to have an abortion. And then also I would seek counseling before you even start worrying about what to tell your family and friends. I think that there are a couple of steps that we have to take prior to that. And then, you know, have a discussion with your wife. I would have a discussion with my wife about how we're going to move forward that I wouldn't worry about that as much. And I would just make sure that your wife is as comfortable and as supported and feels as supported as she possibly can. What do you think, Nicole? So... I feel like I'm putting up pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty hat on because you got two options, really. One is to carry the pregnancy and the other is to not carry the pregnancy. And if you're not going to carry the pregnancy, since you had a general reveal at 12 weeks and you had anatomy scan at 18 weeks, you're probably somewhere around the line of 20 weeks. Okay, so if you're not going to carry the pregnancy and you're like, my wife should not have to risk getting this sick again, especially if the baby is not going to survive then that means you need to go to another state. And the closest state for you will be New Mexico or Colorado. And so you can Google clinics that do termination services and they can counsel you about how they do those terminations and your options for termination further, okay? If you have the resources, okay? Let's say you don't have the resources, then you're almost forced to continue the pregnancy. And what I would do if I were you is I would be very, very diligent in making sure you're monitoring or your wife is monitoring all of her symptoms and all of her blood pressures. Because at this point, as a high-risk specialist, any little thing gets you delivered. 
people. So you want to be very, very aware of her health status and going in to be delivered as soon as possible. So as soon as she gets a diagnosis of preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure and protein in her urine, she needs to be delivered and you need to get out. So um, that's your option. Either you have to be really, really cognizant of what's going on and any little situation will get you delivered or you got to go to another state. Those are the options you have. Um, I think that I can't really tell you which one is the best thing for you because I don't know your resources. You are going to have to fly. So you have to have resources to fly. You have to have resources for a hotel room. If you have the procedure, you have to pay for the procedure itself. It's expensive to get a termination, even in states that are legal because your insurance won't pay for it. This is an issue for poor people. Because the politicians' wives and their daughters, they can take 10000 out of their savings and go cash in. So I had a patient before, I won't say the state, but she had a baby with a major malformation. I've actually had a couple patients that have done this. Major malformations. They didn't find out until they were super late in pregnancy, meaning after 30 weeks, and they didn't want to carry the baby. They flew to Colorado, got injections of KCL, to stop the heartbeat and flew back and had their OBGYNs deliver stillbirths because they could pay $10,000 out of pocket to get that done. And they could pay for a thousand dollar a piece last minute flight next day. And so you're talking about, and the hotel room. So you're talking about 12, 13, $14,000. They're coming out of pocket, but they're looking at it as, well, that's still cheaper than having a baby that's going to be in the ICU or that I'm going to be taking care of, even if their life is very short, you know, it costs money that much money to bury somebody. So, and you're talking about somebody you can't get insured because they have a pre-existing health condition. So they're looking like, yeah, we're not going to do that. So we're going to utilize our resources to do that. And I couldn't blame them. Absolutely. But if I'm talking to people that are teachers, I mean, these are educated, hardworking people. They may not have $10,000 sitting in their bank account that they're willing to fork over. And even if they did, they may have had had to save up that for quite a bit of time. I was about to to get that done. Here's the thing. $10,000 isn't really readily accessible to most, right? Like you can't just, most people can't just go dig in their savings account and say, hey, let me just withdraw this $10,000 because- that especially in a pandemic, that's your rainy day fund, right? Like that's your that's your six months of saving up for your expenses so that you're prepared. Should I mean we're in the middle of a pandemic? If anything has shown us, I mean, if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's shown us like you have to be prepared for the what ifs of life, right? It is disturbing. Insurance doesn't cover it. There's a lot of medical legal stuff that goes into that cost, um, plus the procedure, plus the counseling that you have to. It's a lot that goes into that. But yeah, it's expensive yeah. and it's sort of supply and demand, right? The, the price has been inflated because of supply and demand. You can't get it everywhere. So it's like, if you want it, this is what you pay. Supply and demand everywhere. So yeah, it's uh, it's heartbreaking when people um, don't have the resources. There are some facilities that um, do have funding and um, grants and things like that financial aid assistance for people that can't afford it. So just because you you don't have $10,000 sitting in your pocket doesn't mean that you shouldn't just still do the phone consultation and talk to them about their options. 
see if you qualify for financial aid resources um, or a payment plan. A lot of people will do a payment plan with you. Financially, you still got to think about it. But why does it always hit the women the hardest? Why is it us? Because I think this is a man's world, girl. At some point, women are just going to be like, we're not going to have sex anymore and good luck. Okay, so let me get into my letter. This one says, so for context, this is how the letter starts. So for context, I'm 39. My husband is 43. We have two children, 18 and 8. I've had three stillbirths and several miscarriages over our 20-year marriage. Our 8-year-old was born with spinal muscular atrophy. She is currently in a wheelchair and she will likely need care for the rest of her life. So after she was born, I was determined that I was not going to have any more children. A few weeks ago, when I missed my cycle, I knew that I was pregnant. The following day, I took an at-home test. And when it came back positive, I made an appointment with my doctor to discuss my plan. I have the pills that I am to take, but I haven't taken them yet because I'm contemplating if I should tell my husband. I know he doesn't want to see me go through the same pain and stress that we went through with my eight-year-old daughter. However, I'm not sure how comfortable he will be with my decision to have an abortion. Let me say that my husband is generally supportive, but with all of the troubles that we've had conceiving, I'm really not sure how he would react to this news. I want to tell him I just don't want to hurt him because I just can't risk having another baby like this. Ladies, please help. Okay, so um, from a medical standpoint, for spinal muscular atrophy is a serious matter. Like the letter did not do this disease process justice. These children do not, like when we say spinal muscle muscular atrophy, the muscles that hold up your spinal column basically are going to shrink and deteriorate and not function. And that's going to cause your spine to basically collapse and you will lose function of all of your muscles, basically all of your muscles. Okay. So you are wheelchair bound. You have to have the special wheelchair that holds your head up. You will lose uh, function of your bowels and your bladder. Um, sometimes you can even lose a uh, function of your diaphragm. Um, anything that comes from your spine, which is everything. Um, you can need to be on a ventilator. You can need to be on a rest. I mean, it's a debilitating disease. It is lifelong. And usually those, those children die in childhood. Um, and, and so it's, you're in and out of the hospital all the time. And, Initially, some babies, depends on which form, because there are different types um, that can be mild, meaning some kids walk walk and then end up not walking by their teenage years and then they they become debilitated versus others. Your baby's born very floppy, can't hold its head up, you know, that kind of thing, um, isn't thriving, has trouble feeding, has trouble breathing. And that can be very, very severe. And that takes a toll on a family. It takes a toll on a marriage. It taps out your resources. It is debilitating and it's an inherited disease, right? So I get why she doesn't want to carry this pregnancy. I completely get it um, because you have a super high chance of your child having the disease. So I understand that. But from a social perspective and from a wife perspective, girl, you got to tell your husband, what are you doing? Not telling your husband. If he's supportive anyway, You guys can have a conversation and say, hey, do we have the capacity to go through this again? 
And perhaps you should, before you make that decision, see if the baby actually has spinal muscular atrophy. So get tested first. First thing I would do before I even did further work up on you guys is go ahead and get get tested. Get your child tested. You can get a chorionic vela sampling early in the pregnancy. Um, but I understand in Texas, you only have six weeks. So that's too early to get a CVS. Ah, that's a dilemma. Because Janine, I'm speaking from like last month's counseling. And now I'm realizing that, oh God, she got until six weeks. So, uh, ooh, okay. So what I would do if I were you is I would definitely have a conversation with your husband. You're pregnant. Hey, you had some, you have either 25% chance or 50, 50 chance of this child having spinal muscular atrophy. You don't know which one it is. Okay. Cause you don't know what you're having because it's too early. And then y'all are going to have to have a come to Jesus discussion about, do you want to terminate in general? Like, can you afford the capacity to take care of even a healthy child? Right. Because okay. you already have a child that has this disease. Right. So do you have the capacity to take care of a healthy child with one that already has the disease? Right. Or potentially two children that have this disease? Right. You're going to have to have a quick come to Jesus and you're going to have to tell him what how you feel and see if he supports it. I agree with you 100 percent in terms of you have to tell your husband you do not want something like this looming over your marriage. You said that your husband is supportive, right? You don't want to hurt him. This is going to hurt This, unfortunately, is not a painless situation. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt him. You know, there are going to be emotions attached to this, right? So I don't think that your concern should really be about hurting your husband. Obviously, you want to break the news to him. But I think that seeing as though you all have been through having a child that has this disease already, I think that he'll probably understand when you tell him. All right, Janine, what did you learn new this week? Okay, so I learned, according to Health and Human Services in Texas, 39% of people who have abortions have no other children. 24% have one child, 21% have two children, and 16% have three or more children. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? Okay, well, some of this stuff I knew because I have to counsel people about their options when they have babies that won't make it. Although, like I say, I do not do terminations, Um, but there are six states that have no abortion restrictions. And I feel it's important for us to know that. So I will go through those. And they are Alaska. So if you want to fly to Alaska, there's no restrictions. New Mexico, Oregon, New Hampshire, Vermont and New Jersey. That's it. That's all you got. Okay. And I found out that there are only 17 states that have state health programs covering abortion services. And the thing that I thought was the most strange that I did not know was that Kentucky has banned abortion specifically for a diagnosis of a genetic anomaly. So if you know your baby has a genetic syndrome, that is not a reason for abortion in Kentucky. Hold on. Wait, what? A genetic malformation or genetic anomaly, Down syndrome, things like that, trisomy 18 is not, they have banned abortion specifically for those diagnoses. Even if it's a lethal genetic anomaly? Yeah, girl. You can get away with it because of the actual malformation. Okay. But Kentucky is one that's been caught up in a whole bunch of legal Supreme Court back and forth because they want the heartbeat law as well. So eventually they'll be like Texas probably, but yeah. 
for now, you can abort lethal malformations up to 20, 20 weeks. But uh, if you say there's not a lethal or you can't be 100% sure that the heart defects a lethal, uh, lethal malformation and your baby has Down syndrome or something, you can't, you can't get an abortion for that. Not that's, in Kentucky. That's very, very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very I thought scary. that was very scary. All right, so... Are we ready for motivation? Yes, please. Because this episode is, yes, intense. Please give us yes. the motivation. Okay, so the motivational moment for today comes from Madeline Albright. And she was, if you didn't know who she was, shame on you. She's the first female secretary of state under Bill Clinton. And she said, it took me a long time to develop a voice. And now that I have it, I am not going to be silent. We have a voice. So don't shut up now. Until we meet again, pray, work, slay, and show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Bye. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep BWC. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 